0: All right, Bankless Nation, welcome to another State of the Nation. This is going to be an epic episode. We are talking Wall Street. Is Wall Street going bankless? What do they know about crypto, Ethereum, DeFi, Bitcoin? We brought an expert on to tell us, David Gritter, who is from FunStrat, to tell us All of the details around this. Uh, If this is your first State of the Nation, we do these every Tuesday. We live stream them on YouTube, and then you can catch it on the podcast. Um,
1: David, I'm really excited about this topic. How are you doing today, man? Dude, this is such an important conversation because uh, at the end of the day, all legitimate assets end up on Wall Street. And this is the progress that we are seeing Bitcoin run through. This is the progress that we are seeing Ethereum run through. And uh, at the end of the day, like if we want this to be the world, the worldwide asset class that we that we think it deserves to be, it's the logical conclusion is that it ends up on Wall Street because that's the, the center of capital of the whole entire world. Um, and so this is, this is a, a fun story to to follow and I'm, I'm excited to ask David about how this is gonna work out. Yeah, they've come a lot farther than they
0: were over the last 10 years or so, but it still feels like they are in the early innings of understanding this and, and David is definitely key in, in helping them, educate them. Um, before we get to that, David, we've gotta talk about what's new right before we started this episode, something huge just dropped in Ethereum, in DeFi writ large, that is the Uniswap v3 launch. This has been much
1: anticipated by all of us. So what are we doing, David? We're, we're going to do a walkthrough of Uniswap v3 with the details that we have. The blog post is pretty extensive and there's a lot of uh, interpretation and guesswork that I think uh, is going to be left f- for the readers of that of that blog post. So we're going to go through that with the Bankless community to figure out what actually is Uniswap V3. So that is going to go live at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, so join us back on the YouTube as we learn what the hell Uniswap V3 is. Guys, I think that's going to be an alpha leak.
0: And of course, we will DM Hayden Adams. You never know. <laughs> Maybe we'll send him the Zoom link. Drop a Zoom link. (laughs) He might show up. You never know to explain some of this. Uh, But if not, we will proceed without him because this is definitely a major launch event for the DeFi ecosystem. And we need to figure out what it means for us. Also, David, we dropped an epic episode on Monday on Ether the asset and Ethereum, the economy with Justin Drake. That was a fantastic episode. Ultrasound money. It is ultrasound money week as well. Tell us about that episode and why it's ultrasound money week
1: yeah so this is i think going to be over the long term uh can u- ultimately connected to wall street and the reason why ultrasound money uh meme is so powerful is because it, it's the ultrasound money meme stuck before the podcast was even released which i think is awesome that's how you know a meme is going to work and what memes are are ways for interpretation and and there's learning about something in a very small bite-sized package Uh, And so, you know, Bitcoin has really been spearheading this like sound money narrative in the times of money printer go burr. But Justin Drake came onto the podcast and talked about like, well, what happens instead of just replicating like what he called stone age economics, which is like replicating gold 2.0, what happens if we do sci-fi economics? What happens if we maximize and optimize both the cryptography and the economics side of crypto economics and what the what that product is is ultra sound money in ether the asset at least that is what uh, that's what the long-term vision is and so i'm excited for that podcast to go out and start with the bankless uh, podcast and as we have seen with other previous content i expect that to eventually make its ways to the ears of uh, of wall street right and see like well you know because there's always this this cognitive dissonance of people professional investors investing in bitcoin because like is that really the what the cryptocurrency world has to offer? Is that really the best thing that is going to come out of crypto? Is Bitcoin? Uh, and that podcast suggests that perhaps not. Perhaps there's something more that the world of crypto economics has to offer. Perhaps that thing is ultrasound money. Absolutely,
0: I don't think the world has heard the um, the case for why Ether is. Sound money. They've heard the case for why Ethereum. They've maybe heard tidbits of the case for for why DeFi, but they have not heard the case for why ETH the asset. They think of it as uh, something else. So hopefully, you know, we at Bankless operate at kind of that narrative layer. So we get it direct from the researchers. We sort of parse this into an understanding of the economics and of the asset itself, and then ultimately the hope is that kind of filters up to to the higher levels and and makes it way makes its way to a global understanding of what these systems are and what this asset is. David, before we get into our episode with with David on Wall Street, let's talk about the state of the nation. I'm going to ask you the question I always do, which is what is the
1: state of the nation today? The state of the nation is maturing. We are maturing, especially on the day where v, uh, Uniswap V three comes out, which I think is going to be the last perhaps version of Uniswap. So Uniswap is coming out in this maximum mature form. Uh, you know, Ether the asset is both getting uh, EIP one five five nine and proof of stake expedited at a faster rate. And meanwhile, how we understand and explain, the, explain these things is also getting better and improving. So overall, we are maturing as an ecosystem. And I think this is going to be the main through line that we have or uh, about to have with our conversation with David from Fundstrat is that, again, Wall Street only pays attention to mature assets and Wall Street is paying attention. Therefore, we are maturing as an industry and as, a, as an asset class. Absolutely. Well said. All
0: right. We are going to get to our episode on Wall Street and crypto with David Greider. He is a digital asset strategy at Fundstrap. But before we do, we want to thank the sponsors who made this episode possible.
1: If you want to live a bankless life, you need to get a monolith DeFi Visa card. Monolith is both a one-two punch of an Ethereum smart contract wallet, as well as an accompanying Visa card that lets you spend the money that you have in your Ethereum wallet wherever Visa is accepted. It's really a fantastic tool that lets you use Ethereum for what it does best, which is holding and managing your financial assets, but also keeps you connected to the rest of the world's payment rails. Monolith also offers on-ramp services for getting your fiat money into the world of DeFi. So it's trivial to top up your Monolith card if ever you need to, and your deposited money goes straight into your non-custodial wallet. So your money is never held by a centralized intermediary because your Monolith wallet is native to Ethereum. Monolith helps you transcend both the legacy and the crypto worlds because the money that you hold in your Monolith wallet has the power of DeFi behind it. Swapping assets on Uniswap or earning yield in DeFi is at your fingertips, but with Monolith, so are the groceries at your grocery store or the coffee at your coffee shop. Go to monolith.xyz to sign up and get your Monolith Visa card today.
0: Guys, we've entered a bull market. Now is the time to start building your crypto empire and you should do it on Gemini. You already know Gemini is the world's most trusted crypto exchange, but now you can do even more than trade. You can earn! You can take one of your crypto assets and park it in an interest-earning Gemini account where you can get up to 7.4% annualized. There's nothing more satisfying than earning passive income on an asset that you're already bullish on. This is a crypto-native superpower. You know what's coming soon too? A Gemini crypto credit card. Yep, that's a credit card, not a debit card. It gives you rewards in hard money crypto assets, not something inflationary like airline miles or hotel points. Gives you up to 3% cash back in crypto. The card is coming in Q2, but you should get on the waiting list right now, and we'll include a link. See what I mean? This is more than just trading. Gemini is your bridge to crypto for the bull market. Open a free account in less than three minutes at gemini.com slash go bankless. Get $15 in Bitcoin after you trade your first $100. That's gemini.com slash go bankless. All right, guys, welcome back. We have David Greider. He is digital asset strategy, a researcher at FundStrat. FundStrat, if you've not heard of this firm, they are an independent research boutique. So they advise high net worth individuals, wealth advisors, people in traditional finance. Uh, He does a great job educating what what we might call what we crypto natives might call finance natives. You've probably seen Tom Lee from FundStrat, he's a managing partner uh, on CNBC. This is really our bridge to Wall Street. And David, it's it's great to have you on Bankless. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks a lot for having me. Well, before we begin, we should just echo, of course, like all Bankless shows, none of this is financial advice. Uh, do your own research, of course. But we are here to talk about crypto. We're here to talk about DeFi. We're here to talk about Ethereum and Wall Street, particularly what Wall Street understands about it. And we're thinking about this conversation, David, in in two parts. The first part is really, what does Wall Street make of crypto writ large, the asset class? Uh, And then secondly, I think we want to zone in on what Wall Street actually thinks of Ether, the asset. And you've written some great reports on both of those subjects, so I know you'll be able to uh, to cover it extensively. But let's start with with that basic question at the twenty thousand foot view. What does Wall Street make of crypto? Like, what do they think of crypto right now? It felt like in twenty sixteen, you know, crypto was this this weird sort of scam. You know, crypto anarchists, a very small niche community. But that's all changed this cycle. I, I get the impression. Where are we today?
2: Yeah, I think. You know really starting um you know towards the end of last year and into this year i think it's come on the majority of wall street's radar as okay this thing is real we need to figure it out and um, you know that trillion dollar um asset class kind of revisiting um that moment was really a tipping point for for crypto because it became so large that you know if you compare it to i mean other sub-asset classes like you know different bond segments and different, um, you know, areas of the the credit or emerging markets, right? Like it's, it's, it's a very large segment and it's, it's in terms of investment assets, it's kind of flown under Wall Street Trader and they couldn't ignore it anymore. Uh, before that, I would say, you know, um, largely ignored, uh, which is why I think, you know, the question is, you know, what does Wall Street think about crypto is, 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 is it's very dependent on um, different pockets, right? There's people who have been, who have been following it, who have been early. You know, I talk to some PMs who who are, you know, traditional um portfolio managers, very wealthy fund managers, right? They have their family money. They've been following crypto, investing in it and their money for some time, but and they they're up on it. But it's everything across the range of the spectrum too, you know, other funds who, you know, they're just mutual funds. They they don't they don't get it. They they haven't got it, but now it's it's time and they're trying to figure it out. And I think it's what do they think of crypto? Some of them they don't know yet, and it's uh, you know this this thing this this thing is Bitcoin. Okay, this thing is r- kind of real. We got to get a, get a handle on it. What are the rest of these things, and how's how's that how's that going to fit into our portfolio?
1: David, I want to ask about career risk with crypto uh, because this has been uh, something at least from the inside of the crypto world is is uh something that we've all all been paying attention to because if there's less and less career risk for investing in crypto that means this this is just more legitimate this is uh, capital will f- uh, flow easier and i think Back in, back in, you know, 2017, 2018, 2019, perhaps, uh, uh, up until 2020, perhaps that that career risk element was still very, very strong. Um, maybe you could kind of give us the uh, timeline over the last three years as the conversation of career risk and investing in crypto has has matured and developed.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the thing to remember is Wall Street, I heard this once early in my career, going to Wall Street and being an investor is like one of the best jobs you can get. You know, you paid a lot of money, um, you know, you... you you don't have to do too much, but perform outperform the market by a few percent and um, all you have to do is really just um, don't blow it up and don't 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 take too much risk and make right so. Um, you know, if we think back to right the 2017 wave and everyone's like the herd is coming the hurt is coming the institutions and they kind of never came at that time, and I think one of the reasons was um, you know the money that was coming in at the time was. You know, it was a trickle down effect from Wall Street, but I think it's the private money from Wall Street, right? It wasn't the um, actual managed assets and managed fund assets from Wall Street. And it's like it also the personal money of people because you don't have career risk if you're, you're putting your money in it and you see the upside in the, you know, investing in the crypto economy. But if you try to put your clients' money in it, and plus there's fund mandates and things that are constrained from it, and it's new, all the custody things, um, that stuff was just unheard of and impossible back then. Uh, but you know, we think we you know we slowly seen, of course, um, some of the endowments come in over the years, right, from 2018 and 19. You know, I think on the liquid public market side, um, if I think about career risk for for some hedge fund managers, right, and setting aside the kind of crypto fund, crypto native group, um, the traditional sense of folks, you know, you know, you know, you can see those people play the futures and play the options and you know speculate maybe on the the price, you know, when the CME came out, but when you when you saw Paul, Paul Tudor and, and you saw some of these, you know, Stan Drucker Miller um, in 2020, you know, kind of on the hedge fund side, uh, be willing to actually, you know, place kind of uh, macro bets on uh, the longevity of, or at least the on the trade of building, owning Bitcoin for for that time and that that period. Um, I think that opened up for for a lot of fund managers who who really have been following those guys for years, right? This this is a time we can kind of start to look at this thing, or at least it's not going to be such a, a risk moment. Um, and, and I think now that the banks have kind of gotten on board too, right? You know, I think that that's, that's starting to um, change in a number of different ways across, not just the hedge fund spectrum, right? Because there's a lot of different places to invest capital, right? There's also the RIAs and the wealth managers, right? So, you know, now you see also that group with like Morgan Stanley getting a platform, getting a place to, to put capital to work right in the crypto ecosystem through what was just announced there. Um, that's, That's something now that's kind of reducing the career risk to investing in crypto and making it more accessible.
0: So I think the uh, the macro narrative here that you guys are painting to to Wall Street really uh, com- comes across in the report that you just wrote in the beginning of this year. And uh, I'm going to show an image from that report. Maybe we could walk through some of it because this to me feels like the the lens, almost like the narrative lens that um, you, you guys are painting for for the rest of Wall Street. And as I said, I, I see Funstrat as really a, a bridge between digital assets and crypto and this new economy that's emerging. And Wall Street. Like, we do a good job. I like to think Bankless does a good job trying to explain this to crypto natives. But what you guys do, David, is a great job explaining this entire asset class and movement to traditional Wall Street folks. So we want to go through maybe the lens through which you explain it. And I love this image on the the report that you put out in you know 2021, and it's this image of like a family. I don't I don't know. This looks to me like it's circa 1993, 1994. They have like a a Windows PC of some sort, and it's a family like standing, st- uh, sitting. Around a computer saying "Surfs up, see you on the net," right? And this is like you know the the beginning of cyberspace, the beginning of the internet before we all knew it. uh, You know, before we all used it every day, and it was sort of this this niche thing. Let's talk about that comparison first, because the report is titled uh, "2021 Outlook." What's the outlook for crypto? It's going mainstream. Is Wall Street picking up on this comparison to the early internet, the 1993, 1994 internet and, and seeing crypto?
2: Yeah, no, I think I think it absolutely is. I mean, you know, our focus is, um, like you said, like there's a lot of folks who are very deep into crypto um, and we try to be very deep ourselves. But what we also want to do is kind of be the bridge, right, where we can help, you know, our traditional investors think about how crypto is merging with the real world. Um, and when it was so small, and when it was just emerging, and the use cases were, you know, you know, more limited than they are today, it hadn't really kind of merged with the with the global and traditional economy, and and we're seeing that really happen now, right? As similar to any of the, you know, emerging of any technology, right? Just like when the internet came, um, where it's going to disrupt, just like the internet disrupted uh, many traditional business models, right? So our focus really with with a lot of our research is. Um, Helping investors also think about, right? You own um, you know, these uh these types of companies in, in your portfolio, right? Here's what crypto's coming up and here's what crypto's doing across all of these sectors, just like the internet came up and disrupted some media, just disrupted uh broadcasting, disrupted, you know, the way we all communicate online, create social media, right? And here's here's how that's that world is emerging with our current world. And it touches every part of of almost the traditional economy. So, you know, when I think about um when we're trying to convey the idea to people of, uh, you know, crypto, this novel foreign thing, you know, we really have to kind of help them come back to the period of when a new technology emerged, emerged like the internet and, uh, you know, how foreign it was then to you know get on dial up, to get on these, you know, these websites, you, you don't know who you're talking to in the chat rooms and, 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 but what it emerged to and what, what the technology really brought us. Right. And that's, that's the same thing we want people to recognize is really happening here.
1: Love How does that. that metaphor land? Does that does that make sense for for people or do they still kind of need some convincing after the internet metaphor?
2: No, you know, I think I think the internet metaphor really does work for people because they, you know, they have enough experience to be able to think back to, you know, the dot com days, right? And to kind of the early kind of getting online days. I mean, even I can remember, um, you know, I'm not I'm I'm a millennial kind of mid mid-millennial, and I even I can remember um you know, really kind of getting online the first time and some of the companies and stuff that were coming out doing interesting things. So I think I think people people get that now. And I think that um, it's still like it's like the Internet, right? The one is early, but no one there's so much new stuff happening. So innovation like you get it's going to be big and you know it's going to change everything, but you don't exactly know how it works. Right. And from from, you know, even experts in the space across all of the things that are happening because there's so much innovation um but but you know it's important right and um you know and then i think there are some people who who maybe have gotten even bad narratives from the crypto community that have just been fed to them for for a while right and that i think that is possibly one of the reasons too that um it's taken so long is there just been some bad narratives
0: what were some of the bad narratives dude
2: well i think um you know, I think a lot of the illegal stuff, right? That's been a bad. That was just a bad narrative, and it's still I even. Mean, you still hear Janet Yellen saying it, um, you know. And I think you're talking about like money laundering and stuff like this. Yeah, and then I think some of the other stuff around, um, you know, whether it be like, um, you know, I think I think Wall Street generally doesn't want to displace the dollar. Um, I think that that, from their vantage point. Is a, you know it's very against their entrenched interests.
0: Um, <laughs> well said. So so they, they, Wall Street did not like the the whole crypto anarchist like this is dark net money like uh, screw the central bank screw the government sort of thing.
2: Yeah, I don't I don't think that that I don't think that that pulled weight for a while, right? And then you know I think it's catching more now that there has just been such you know with COVID such a massive um change in the monetary regime right um so so i think that was kind of a catalyst that 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 kind of brought the digital gold and the, that narrative stronger right but i think there's still people who still think you know even the currency narrative of crypto is all currencies or right they're all just going to be currencies and they're not we all know that they're not right we all know that DeFi is not just it's not currencies right we know ethereum is, is really a cloud network we know um a lot of these things can look like you know, digital companies and other many digital assets, but, and I think the confusion around you know thinking there's a thousand currencies of everything um, that happened for a while too, right? So, and then and then I mean I still talk to you know, I I, I was I was talking the other day to someone inside one of the very 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 large macro funds, and um, you know they're 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 get, they're kind of getting in on Bitcoin, right? But but even still they're like I don't get why anything else. They haven't even done the hadn't done the work on ethereum um, so you know I think you know but but then it depends right some folks are even down they understand more but that's the, that's the answer to answer your question so
0: all right cool well uh, let's lay out the case that you guys make because I think you make it very well in your report and and the, the first goes back to something that uh, you said in in the intro when I asked you the questions like what does Wall Street make of crypto uh, it feels like part of your answer was they know it's not dead. And they know it somehow bounced back from, you know, 2017, 2018 to over a trillion, uh, so they can't ignore it. Now, I think the first point that you guys make really well in your report is that Bitcoin has been the best performing asset, nine out of 11 of the past years, right? Like, so when you look at all of the different asset classes, here's a, a slide that we're showing Gold, various commodities, oil, stocks, SP, bonds, treasuries, everything. Up at the top here, you see Bitcoin. And it has not just outperformed, but like massively outperformed every single asset class um, almost every year. It had two bad years, which was like a negative 56% a year and a negative 74%, but its good years were real good. <laughs> positive Positive 5,000 percent growth, you know 126 percent growth, over a thousand growth in, in 2017. So uh, can you talk about that? When, when, when Wall Street hears that and sees the data of like, hey, you can't they, they don't they don't like ignoring gains, right? Um, so when you make the case and you say, hey, the last 11 years, if you want to see what the best performing asset class was, it's a cryptocurrency and it's called Bitcoin, What do they say? And how does that resonate? Uh, how does that land with them?
2: Well, I mean, I think back to, um, you know, even one of the, the prior things we were just talking about, right? Um, you know, obviously, they, everyone wants to make money. But then I think on the other side, even today, I still see, like, you know, a few months ago, I saw, I think it was, you know, one very large bulge bracket bank who came out and said they were just showing the returns of Bitcoin. And they're saying, is it, you know, the biggest bubble in history, right? And people see... <laughs> you know, the returns, and for some reason, they think, you know, high returns like this must mean it's a bubble, it's going to crash, because they're not used to that type of returns, unless it's maybe Tesla or something, right? And we know that the, the, the what that created on Wall Street in terms of the chaos, but um, and, and without in traditional markets, but, but I think what's happening here is, is it's not fitting in their existing paradigm box, um, or at least it wasn't for some time. And because um, of the disruptive innovation. So you know i think now that people have seen the returns for so many years and we're just at this size of scale if it's in, you know if it's of, of the maturity of the asset class um, i think people now understand that it's an investable segment for their portfolio
1: do you think that um, do you think that the that people expect bitcoin to not have those kind of same levels of returns because it is maturing as an asset or do you think that people are hoping that at this point in time, like Bitcoin has been the best performing asset classes in the last nine out of 11 years. And therefore they're hoping for, you know, strong continuation over the next five years. But where do you think people's heads are with like the, the next five years of Bitcoin performance? Do you think it's going to, are, are people expecting this to be equally as crazy? Or do you think people are getting in now because they think that it's finally going to start to behave like something that they are more comfortable with?
2: Well, it's definitely becoming more integrated with the global traditional economy and traditional asset classes. I mean, we can see, you know, that, you know, when, when certain assets, you know, form in different ways, there's a lot of correlations now that we can see that the crypto has gotten so much bigger. But I think, you know, you're getting, seeing a lot of people getting in today because they do still expect a, a lot of upside from this asset class. And then you can have strong returns um, in crypto if, if, if the tech continues to disrupt. Again, you know, we think crypto is like the next wave of the internet, um, just like internet stocks, you know, have risen to create the fangs, and 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 all of the the large um, tech, you know, winners that have made a lot of people a lot of money on Wall Street for a long time, uh, we think there's still a lot of upside in crypto. Uh, you know, I don't know that the yearly returns, you know, we can see that you know cycle over cycle, you know, Bitcoin returns, and this is just the kind of a law of large numbers thing, right? You know, they are they are slowing down, but I think I think people are really getting in today because they do see. Um, you know, more upside and, you know, they're, it's, it's interactive to, you know, putting their portfolios at this point, right?
0: It, it also seems like, I mean, uh, the case that this is like the third market cycle. This is the third time really this has happened, right? So you can kind of get them used to the rhythm of these three, four year cycles. These boom bust rhythms aren't just one time events. This is part of the, the cycl- cyclical fractal nature of crypto. And I love this chart here. Uh, where you just show, like, uh, it just says, you know, t- 2017 when we see crypto spiking up towards 1 trillion didn't quite hit that. Is it a fad? Nope, because we just hit 1 trillion again. And we are, this was in January of uh, 2021 that you guys published this report. We are over a trillion now, uh, decently over a trillion. So it just feels like it's the next. Uh, reverberation of that cycle again. But I, I want to talk about this comparison you make, because this is a really interesting lens through which maybe uh, Wall Street can see crypto, which is not just as um, a commodity asset, but as an economy. And in in this slide, you compared the, the top largest nation state economies on earth. You've got the US, you've got China, you've got Japan. Uh, you know one, two, and three, and then you compare that with crypto as an asset class. And crypto actually places as the sixteenth largest global public economy. Can you talk about that framing?
2: Does that resonate with Wall Street? Yeah. So that's a, that's a comparison of the stock market capitalization versus crypto. Actually, nowadays we're probably coming up on Canada, uh, which is kind of <laughs> interesting to think about. Um, but I do think about crypto as really um, the next wave of the internet in the sense that it gives the internet its own, it makes the internet its own emerging market economy, right? You know, you hear a code is law with Ethereum and what that enables, and it kind of gives the self sovereignty to the internet and gives you a global internet communities, right? So, in that sense, you've kind of created countries in the cloud, which is um, a narrative that I think is, is kind of developing. And I think what you know, is happening is back to the to the boom bust cycles, right? And you know, it's just a small economy, a small digital economy, very reflexive to capital flows. Before people saw that as, um, you know, just pure speculation. But but what I think it is is just like you know, as any small economy matures, right, it grows. And I think you know, crypto economy, I think it has a potential to be as big as the internet economy, um, and then potentially larger because of the innovation it can unleash over over the long term. So I think that. Now that it we're at that size, you know, again, it's 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 like you can't you can't ignore it from an investability standpoint.
0: This is another slide that I think is hard to ignore, and some data points that are hard to ignore as you guys are painting the picture of this whole crypto thing being as large and on a similar growth trajectory as the early internet. So what we see here is the amount of of crypto users over time, starting from about 2015 to 2020. And there's another chart on the uh, amount of internet users over time. And that chart spans across the top from 1992 to 1997. And what you guys are reporting out here is there are uh, close to, it says passing over a hundred million worldwide users of crypto. These are all people who are not necessarily using DeFi in their everyday lives, but I would assume at least have a crypto asset and that would count as as usage of crypto they're using crypto maybe to to store their value and the interesting thing here is it looks like it's a, a similar trajectory as the internet in terms of annualized growth but maybe even faster uh, by by this comparison so you're sort of charting that out and I, I love that people always ask well you know if this is the early internet what year is it? And this data point says it's the year 1997, basically of the early internet. So like right before the dot-com boom and before this internet thing went mainstream, we're still in that sort of early speculative hype uh, part of the cycle. Can you
2: comment on this a little bit? I mean, I think it really goes back to the cover page that we were talking about when, you know, people were getting online, right? And everyone's kind of just trying it, right? Crypto is kind of hard to use. Not everyone uses it. It's not as intuitive, storing and keeping your custody and your security. But, you know, just like getting online with dial up and how effortlessly it is, you know, nowadays, right? Because we're also native with it. And we've, we've all, you know, billions of people, most of the world have kind of joined the internet revolution. Um, you know, I think this crypto uh, internet revolution is is really in the early innings. And I think, you know, back to, you know, the, t- the days of it, I mean, I really do think, you know, we're seeing use cases emerge just like just like these early use cases that are really hitting society's kind of going mainstream moment you know as we said in the cover right whether it's whether it's things like DeFi or things like um nfts i think we're kind of crossing that chasm where you know the traditional mainstream society it's not just this these niche technologists right these people like us who have been following it for some time right but it's now it's now kind of hitting you know application level for everybody to use so um and again we have data that says as the internet grow growth of users right the the growth of the the value tracks it as well this Both is kind of stocks, a you think for crypto a, as well a metcalf's law sort of derivative uh yeah it's similar i mean yeah it's similar to that
1: David, I've got a question because we always, uh, in crypto, we always use like the dot-com bubble, kind of like this frame of reference. And I remember back talking about uh, in 2017 when I was first getting into crypto saying like, oh yeah, this this must be crypto's own like version of the dot-com bubble. Um, but you know, maybe that that comparison back in 2017 didn't, didn't hold water. Maybe that was just my, my anchor point back then. But my question to you is, do you think that this is going to turn into a speculative mania actually inside the stock market as in the stock market is going to start playing the crypto game in the same way the stock market started playing the the dot-com game back in 2001. Uh, we we see Coinbase ready to, to go public. We've seen companies like uh, Gemini uh, signal interest and, and then we've seen a number of companies signal interest after that Uh, And then there are plenty of uh, already public companies uh, putting Bitcoin on the balance sheet. And then those companies share prices going up after that. And then there's uh, public companies like PayPal putting uh, uh, BitGo or um, uh, custody providers on on uh, ac- uh, ac- uh, uh, with their acquisitions. do you think that this could actually start to play with the valuations of stock market valuations and that this kind of turn into its own kind of uh, legacy market mania just because of how much excitement there could be in the crypto markets?
2: Well, I, I don't think that, you know, look, the Fed said the other day they're not concerned about what's happening in the crypto markets for the broader economy and for the broader traditional markets. And I, I would agree with that because, you know, back to the other ch- chart that we showed with the size of the stock markets, I mean, the U.S. stock market is, I don't know, maybe it's 50, 50 trillion, right? And we're, you know, pushing on, you know, 1.75, right? So that's uh, much, much smaller. I mean, this is just a, it's just a pocket of, of global investable assets. It's very small these days. Um, you know, is crypto? Was I mean? I think crypto in twenty seventeen was not was not the dot com moment because, um, you know, if as we just showed right that that like was at a trillion right of market cap? Then, you know, if we just think back to what the dot com bubble peaked at, uh, if you take the technology index, then it was four point five trillion market cap for the dot com bubble back then, right? So if you even think about where we are today with crypto's growth, uh, you know, in terms of market size, we're still under that. And then if you think about broadly, like that was back in the 90s and 2000s, how much bigger has all of the investable asset class base become since then? So if if, if, if a .com bubble is your frame of reference, right? And 4.5 trillion in 1998, right? 2000, right? Um, And then you think about M2 growth, you think about all assets class growth, right? Like how much bigger if, if there is a dot-com bubble, right? And I'm not betting, you know, I don't want to bet and speculate on one, right? It's possible. But, um, you know, what, what would that size be, right? Um, and at that point, then it does kind of become maybe some risk, but but not not today.
0: It, it's funny, David, how well that maps to like, uh, today is 1997, right? Because what this all means is we still have the speculative dot-com bubble essentially uh, ahead of crypto and 2017 wasn't it maybe maybe this time around maybe this cycle we'll see that I'm wondering if you if you see this cycle kind of growing into a not a stock market speculative like mania but a, a dot-com sized uh, event where the assets in crypto run up to the you know maybe the tens of trillions of dollars
2: well you know we um you know, we don't want to put our clients in things that we think are just going to kind of be betting on a, on a speculative frenzy, right? So that's kind of not our core focus, but we do think, you know, even still at today's levels, there's fundamental value and we don't think the market's in a bubble by any means, right? So, you know, is it really possible that, um, you know, the macro could, could happen and we could go to uh, those levels? Absolutely. I think I think it's possible that those types of things could happen, right? I, um, so I, I, I definitely think we could, crypto could see that, Right, and I think, but what's important is making sure, kind of, just like DeFi is, right, the usage and the application growth and the and the fundamentals track it, right, to make sure, you know, how sustainable that is. Absolutely. Well, guys, we are going to be back with
0: David in just a minute. We're going to talk about uh, how crypto is disrupting banks. We're going to talk about how Wall Street sees ETH the asset and Ethereum the network. But before we do, we want to tell you about the sponsors that made this episode possible.
1: If you are looking for a product that connects your fiat bank account with DeFi tokens and products, you need to download the Dharma mobile app. Dharma is a non-custodial smart contract wallet and comes with a bridge that connects you right into your bank account. Dharma is the fastest and most efficient wallet between your fiat and your bank account and any token on Uniswap or even any vault in Yearn. With Dharma, you can get over $25,000 per week into the DeFi universe and you can do it non-custodially. If you or anyone you know is hot on DeFi and you're trying to get your money into a DeFi investment, Dharma is the place to go. Signing up and going through KYC is an absolute breeze. It took me just under three minutes and after signing into my bank account via Plaid, I am now just one transaction away from any token that Uniswap has to offer. Go to www.dharma.io, that's D H A R M A.io, download the DARPA app and get yourself unbanked today. Aave is a borrowing and lending protocol on Ethereum and just recently released Aave version 2, which has a ton of cool new features that makes using Aave even more powerful. With Aave, you can leverage the full power of DeFi, Money Legos, Yield, and Composability all in one application. Swap collateral without having to withdraw your assets, trade them on Uniswap and then deposit them back into Aave. Aave does all of this for you all in one seamless transaction. So you don't have to repay loans in order to change the collateral you have backing them. Check out the power of Aave at Aave.com. That's A-A-V-E.com.
0: We are back with uh, David, and we're talking about what Wall Street makes of this whole crypto thing, this whole crypto revolution. And I actually want to get to this part of the conversation, which is sort of part of the bankless thesis. And David Hoffman and I, we call this the uh, the DeFi mullet, which is the the idea that FinTech is going to um, you know, switch around their banking infrastructure for decentralized finance, sort of the the bank in the front image, but the, the DeFi in the back, party time. Um, and this seems to be a little bit about like the message that that you're sending as part of your messaging to to Wall Street. So you're saying distributed ledger technologies are lowering banking costs and reshaping the financial sector. And what I think you mean here is is DeFi. What's super interesting here is we're talking about 6%. Of all GDP is actually goes to the financial industry, actually goes to the banks today, and that's that's a whole lot. So when you break it down like this, the average person spends about a month of their productivity—that's three and a half weeks—to just just to pay for the right to use the modern financial system in the U.S., which is actually crazy to think about when you put it like that. But I want to ask the question: um, How does Wall Street respond? when you tell them that crypto and DeFi in particular is about to, to, you know, drink their milkshake? Do they get upset about this or do they know it has problems? They know it's about to be disrupted and are they excited for this future?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, I think I think when you look at charts like this and you can kind of see that in any industry, whenever there's someone who's just been able to kind of, um, despite the economic virus, be very kind of, you know, very profitable, really. You know, change as, as the times change, right? That's like a key industry for being disrupted, right? Um, and I think that you know, banking has kind of had that point, right? It's had kind of monopoly over many things in its own way, you know. So I think actually, when you think about DeFi and the applications um, that are being invented there, I think they're actually they find that more possibly threatening to um, to their business models. Um, or innovative in some ways, I think that even some of the things like Bitcoin to some people, they kind of get it, right? And um, I think that, you know, from a FinTech perspective, I mean, I've even seen, you know, I, I'll, I'll just say I see a lot of sell side reports that come out um, and some, some of these things have been made public, right? But just a couple of bullet points on, from two, I've even seen Bank of America who has been pretty critical on Bitcoin and crypto in a recent report. Um, be like, you know, DeFi has a lot of innovation potential and then, wow. you know, the, yeah, and, and and they were kind of, you know, giving some not so good takes on, on Bitcoin, right? And I think that the same thing is being said kind of across, um, you know, some of the other, um, you know, kind of Wall Street firms. So I think the view on DeFi is actually more bullish and positive. Than on Bitcoin. This is crazy to me, David, because actually what you what you're saying here
0: was echoed by a guest we had from from uh, Bitwise, Matt Hogan. This is and not
2: the first time we've had this take. Not the yeah. first
0: time we've had this take, and it's a kind we of know a Matt well. Take. So okay, mm-hmm. so Matt basically he 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 made the point that um, a lot of people who didn't understand Bitcoin, they get DeFi right right away. You know, first right because away. we're talking about capital assets, but but second, and maybe like in, from a larger perspective, they know that the current existing financial system and banking system sucks. Like they know it has rent-seeking behavior and needs to be fundamentally disrupted. And they know that FinTech just kind of scratched the surface on the level of disruption that's that's needed. And this goes to one of the slides you, you kind of put together about this evolution of banking, where we had this kind of banking 1.0 and FinTech was sort of a 2.0. But DeFi is kind of a, a ground up We're replacing the entire infrastructure from the ground up revolution that hasn't happened yet. And uh, Matt said that that people in finance, you know, uh, CPAs, CFAs inherently understand this and even understand it better than the narrative of of Bitcoin becoming a new global money. Right. That's like they dismiss that as Bitcoin gold bug stuff. But this they gravitate to you. That's what is that what
2: you're saying? That's exactly what i'm saying that's exactly what i'm saying i think they see the, the kind of disruption potential um and you know i think with this right like if you think about back to what we're saying with trust-based systems right what was the point of having a bank um you know you had to walk into the bank you had to know the person in the local banking region where you were going to get a loan you said hello to them you know you went to church together they knew you were a credit worthy person The bank would give you a loan because you were borrowing it from the person down the street right you created a global network of this and these payment rails and the tech has just not been um, as innovative as you have with a digital society and with technology. And then you have fintech that's emerged. And you know, instead of walking to a bank, you can, you know, authenticate through your phone, you can use you know biometric authentication, right? You can use different things like Sofi and they have all these other data points that you didn't have in banking, right? But so that's that changed the trust layer again, and that opened up access and increased uh or increased access lowered cost right but you know the thing that underlined it all underlying it all right was this decentralized infrastructure layer of the trust based systems right and with crypto um and these open blockchain networks and, and you know the defi applications right it's you know i think um you know when you decentralize that that aspect of 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 the trust based system right it creates a lot of um you know especially non custodial everything's on chain you know the contracts you know how liquidity works right it's it changes how the, the 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 you know the product can reach the market and expands right the user base and i think there's a lot of disruption potential for that i mean it's, it's, there's you know a few guys writing lines of code and, and and you have protocols that are the size of you know mid-sized community banks right now some of these borrowing and lending platforms right in terms of assets
0: Yeah, absolutely. They're getting large, and I mean, it's it's we've we've often echoed the story of Uniswap, which we you know you talked about some big news today. But it's like a team of fifteen people basically, and Mm -hmm. and uh, they they grew to volumes that surpassed uh, Coinbase in like less than two years, which is crazy. What I love about these types of reports, too, David, is uh, you guys aren't afraid to make predictions. This is what's fun about uh, Wall Street analyst reports. I think sometimes people in crypto are somewhat reticent to make predictions, but you guys are throwing out some numbers. These are some numbers you put together uh, at the beginning of of January, and I'd love for you to give them some context. But this is the 2021 outlook, Bitcoin to 100K, uh, Ether to 10.5K. So we're hitting that ETH to 10K. Magic Meme marker <laughs> and the crypto market writ large, five trillion. We're gonna get some to some details, maybe into into how you're coming up with those numbers for Ether, the asset. But can you give us just the high level? Where are you coming up with these numbers? And this isn't the first time you've made price predictions on some of these assets. How do you go about even coming up with price predictions for
2: these assets? Yeah, it's a great question. Just so for context, um, you know, because we're a little past that, right? This was back when. You know, I think Bitcoin was around 35,000 at the time and it just hit 40 and pulled back. And so, you know, we've come a, a good ways towards that. Um, and um, you know, Ethereum, uh, I guess we all kind of know you can probably triangulate where it was back at that time, and the crypto market cap was still back at, at at a trillion. So we're on a good pace. Um, but yeah, I mean, the way the way we come I've come about it at least is kind of fundamentally driven. Um, there was a, you know, for Bitcoin, I look at it kind of like you know, strangely, in a way, digital real estate or um, in its own commodity. I look at it first as a book value multiple of kind of the total mining investment because, you know, you have to mine a lot to produce these things. And I came up with this model, you know, I call it price to book for Bitcoin, kind of like you value a bank on, on a price to book multiple. And my book value was just the, the total mining investment. Um, and this is something I came up with back in you know January of uh, 2018, right? and um, yeah, so that's how I look at that one, right? But I look at Ethereum in a different way and we can talk about it in a second, because I think about it like a cloud computing stock network in a way, a crypto network of a cloud stock. So I look at now, of course, it's still mineable like Bitcoin today. I'm just looking at it on an ETH um, kind of two uh, lens. Uh, and on the crypto market cap side, um, I think it does kind of come back to some of the, the cycle factors that we were talking about. I kind of think if we hit those two numbers, um, because that's, you know, of the market, you know, the rest of the market kind of goes with it. And, um, you know, I'm just thinking about kind of ratios, you know, broadly, alts tend to outperform just because of capital flows. And, um, you know, thinking about what kind of dominances could be right at that point. Um, But I do think about it kind of like as an economy level, right. So that's kind of how I got get to that one as well.
0: So let's get to this kind of second part. This whole conversation around uh, Ether and Ethereum and the understanding—it very much feels to me like we've said this before on Bankless that um, Ether, in terms of its narrative understanding, is maybe a cycle behind Bitcoin. Like now, Bitcoin Absolutely. is just adopted as, yeah, that's uh, digital gold. Okay, we understand yep. that. We get that narrative now, and they put it in the context of macro, which we haven't uh, dug into. But obviously, that's a um, that th- that is definitely a catalyst for crypto. But um, can I ask you this basic question? So it feels to me like a little bit the conversation is moving from just a conversation of when you say, what is crypto? And somebody says, well, it's Bitcoin to now it's maybe not just Bitcoin. It's Bitcoin and Ether, like those two assets. Is the conversation moving in that direction or is Ether still and Ethereum still not really rising to the level of being something that's named that people understand
2: i think the best way for every user uh or every like kind of probably listener to your um show to think about it is um imagine that the mass bucket of capital that's been entering in the mass bu- you know segment of investors and users are you when you first got into crypto um, for me that was back in 2015 with bitcoin and then you know ethereum after the dow hack right and you know think about what your learning curve was when it first came on your radar you first decided you're eventually going to listen to it look at it and you had to try to understand it where you started and when you kind of got to within your investment spectrum right and i think for most people it really is this process of okay bitcoin's the biggest it's the largest it's the first one it's the one most people talk about in the media you know uh, but that's changing right um so you know if you figure figured that one out right and then um, then we figure out the rest. And you kind of move down the spectrum and you capital and flows and invest on the spectrum. So I think that that same, um, that same awareness, um, knowledge and learning, and then, and then investment capital flow curve applies, right? Um, to what's happening today, right? Just at a bigger scale. And that's the thing to keep in mind. So I, you know, the way I'm seeing it now, right? Most, um, most talk was about Bitcoin for some time Right. Bitcoin's kind of now most people are starting to understand it and starting to get it, um, you know, most research reports and stuff on crypto that it came out first were Bitcoin. But in the products like, you know, Morgan Stanley and the ETFs right, were, were Bitcoin right through those through those channels. But now I'm seeing stuff like, you know, I think Alliance Bernstein, uh, one of the, you know, the software group there put out um, a pretty good report on Ethereum um, and um, also on um, you know, some of the upgrades that have been happening. And I think that that same exact learning cycle is going to happen and is happening right now with Wall Street, right? And again, everyone's kind of following this educational curve. And I do think that, you know, there's a lot of crypto smart money in Ethereum, kind of like what's going on with, you know, the strong fundamentals of Ethereum, um, you know, in terms of all the application usage, all the ecosystem growth, right? And then um, of course it outperformed, you know, last year, Bitcoin. Um, and this year, right, it's had strong returns as well, but, you know, we're kind of taking every cycle takes a, a breather and a pause, right, and kind of wondering what's next. Um, but but I, think that, I think that that's part of it, right, that it's just the learning capital flow dynamic, right, and I think that people are going to recognize the potential for disrupting, I think, in my view, big tech with cloud platforms um, on the blockchain computing side.
1: David, I want to ask about how this whole DeFi thing impacts people's learning process about specifically Ethereum, because as we've said, there seems to be this resonance that, you know, more traditional investors have with the, the DeFi assets, mainly because they are capital assets, which fit into old older models that they're familiar with. Yet, I would imagine, as they start to, you know, do this evaluation on some of the most common DeFi assets that are out there, such as, you know, Uniswap, and it's, you know, X number of billion dollars of, of volume, or Aave and Compound, and their X number of dollars of uh, assets under management, all these things fit into their models. Yet, I would imagine that like, oh, the Uniswap is an application what's that application built on it's built on ethereum oh uh aave compound oh it's also built on ethereum maker also built on ethereum like basically if we're talking DeFi, we're talking ethereum how does that fact that like these DeFi things that they are learning about that fits into their legacy models and they all happen to be built on the same platform that's this ethereum thing how does that impact people's perceptions or trajectories about learning about ethereum versus versus bitcoin
2: well i think you know i think it's the same as um you know, developers, right? You know, I think if you're a developer and you see a lot of tools on one platform, right? You're gonna probably, you know, you can get, you know, the, the, the you know, the API layers and you can get all the things you need to get to, right? You're gonna probably learn about that platform and learn how to build on it. Um, and I think, you know, I think people, you know, recognize, right, the, that, the, you know, to this point, the Ethereum economy is certainly the largest in terms of applications, right? And I think that's one reason reflected why it is the second largest in terms of, you know, its market cap as well um you know so i think it definitely says a lot right there's a lot of product market fit with the DeFi applications in what i call the ethereum cloud network that, you know and um you know i i mean people you know sometimes criticize the fees i think that's you know you know i saw something similar where someone said bitcoin you know bitcoin couldn't work because fees were too high and they were too volatile and then i just thought like do you say that when you get a, a surge charge with uber because it's cuz you, you have demand pricing or is that product market fit because you're willing to pay it um and you know that's that's the thing i think is interesting right so yeah i mean i think i think showing that you know all, all these things are built on ethereum right and things are being built on other platforms as well and there's a lot of exciting stuff happening in crypto right we cover we cover it all um but again we are bullish on ethereum too amongst other things right and i think that definitely it's a sign to say hey you know this is a very good place to to look for um fundamental innovation happening that is kind of lasting through the cycles um, in my view.
0: I want to get your sense, David, of Wall Street's level of understanding ethereum and and ether the asset, sort of the the investment of ethereum. Um, so, like there's the base level understanding, I think, where you you think of ETH, the asset, as kind of a commodity to pay for gas in the network, right? And you can kind of value it based on what's the demand for this commodity going to be, this commodity money within the network. So that's like one level. There's another level that David and I have been talking about a lot, which is ETH as a, a store of value asset, right? And so Super that's Super sound the, money. Super sound money, ultrasound, ultrasound money. Excuse ultrasound me. money. Ultrasonic money, <laughs> um, and so like that's um, that's kind of the, the the similar case that you know of Bitcoin, which is Bitcoin is digital gold. Well, Ether is kind of digital gold for an entire economy, right? There's that case, but you're making uh, a different case as well when you get to that 10k valuation, which I think is really interesting. You're making the the case for ETH. As a productive asset, ETH as a, a capital asset as well. And like both David and I would agree that like ETH is a triple point asset. It can be all of these things. Um, when it's staked, it can also be a productive asset and provide returns. But here's the case that you're making. And once again, 2021, I think, is the first time that I've seen uh, those bridges to Wall Street, which, which you guys are an educational bridge to Wall Street, being able to make this case for Ether the asset. And your case is based on the revenue that ETH the asset and the Ethereum network is uh, generating. So I'm gonna read uh, some parts of your tweet, and then maybe you could re- talk about this a bit. This is from uh, March 9th. Ethereum has a market cap at that time of 210 billion. ETH generated 1.75 billion of revenue year-to-date for 2021. That's a 3x of its 600 million that it earned in 2020. At this pace, ETH 2021 revenue is set to grow 1,400%. If you annualize that, that means year-to-date revenue top line revenue of nine billion the framing of this is so interesting because what you're arguing for is basically um ether to be viewed through the lens of a of a capital asset and it's it's a capital asset that's going through an insane period of growth and that's i think where you're getting to when when you start talking about um, comparing it to cloud compute type platforms right maybe you could walk us through the comparison david because i think it's super cool
2: yeah, so I'm kind of putting it through, um, you know, kind of a post, um, you know, you've implemented some of the, um, the changes to the protocol um, that are kind of coming up, right, you know, staking and kind of a burning um, implementation lens, right, because, you know, obviously it is still mindable today, but, you know, when you are um, in finance, always, you have to think about it, right, on a forward looking basis, right, what can, the, what is the, what is the future, what of the company, you know, how can they do, right, so, you know the thing that you know the reason that i don't think people were able to do this in the past and they can do it today is because um the numbers just weren't there um ethereum you know at you know any scale on a layer one today at least in terms of fees and revenue generated um you know it is it is it, it's ethereum and bitcoin at that level um Right. And it's if you know, you think back to, you know, Wall Street is investing in more more mature things, right? You're not investing in the start, the small startup kind of early seed stuff, which the tech stuff can grow for a lot of these other crypto platforms. But you can look at it now on a traditional lens and compare many, you know, these types of and and some DeFi protocols these days too, right? We can talk about, but um, in terms of the fees and stuff they're generating. But if you think about what fees are to um, a crypto network. If you start burning fees, that's a reduction in the token supply, right? And if you think about a company economics, right? People would say, "How is that revenue?" You know, um, if 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 you think about what happens, I give like dollars to a company like Salesforce, and um, you know, it goes through the P and L, they have profit from that, and they can buy back their shares, right? If you burn tokens, that's the same thing, right? So that's the reason you can think about you have to, you can, can be you can be comparative to a degree with crypto network economics and traditional company economics, because I do think like crypto is kind of a two point, like Ethereum is really a 2.0 cloud stock um, is the case I've made before. And, you know, that's that's the reason we kind of frame it in that sense.
0: Yeah. So l- let's talk about that framing or that comparison. You know, I, I got to admit, sometimes when I hear the kind of the, the cloud stock uh, metaphor, I, I get a bit of PTSD from this whole idea that people thought in 2017 that Ethereum was like a decentralized AWS, right? That it was like the internet computer, and that like we were going to s- store everything in this internet computer, like graphics and everything. And the reality is, it's it's uh, it's an internet computer. Uh, it's a it's a world computer. In, in terms of its, you know, permissionlessness and in terms of its kind of its span. But it only has the power of, like, your computer, your, your, your consumer-grade laptop, right? So this is not going to store all of the world's images. It's not going to be a world computer if you're looking for the second coming of AWS. But I think I start to understand you as you describe it as a kind of a... a um, a country in the cloud, right? Because it's, it is a property management system in the cloud. It's like a country in the cloud. And it does have this capital asset element, whereas David has described it uh, before too. With EIP-1559, it's doing essentially a share buyback and it's taking those shares and it's it's burning them. It's removing that scarcity. But I want to get into that that um, detail here. If you compare the, the kind of rate of growth that we're seeing, which is right now 1,400% year-over-year year growth in terms of the top level of revenue uh, Ethereum is generating. You compare that to other cloud stocks, let's say these are fast-moving um, you know tech companies that are growing fairly fast. You get like Salesforce, which is 195 billion market cap and it's uh, on a revenue of, of $21 billion, and it's only growing at 25% year-over-year growth, right? Is this kind of the comparison that you're making, and what are the metrics that that fall out of this? Does this indicate that um, Ether, the asset, just from a top-line revenue perspective, is undervalued, overvalued, fairly valued relative to these sort of cloud stocks?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, um, I think that, you know, there's a kind of a lot to unpack in here, right? Like, I think the cloud is kind of an arbitrary thing, right? Cloud is also a lot of computers that are traditionally on, you know, one layer, right? And like, you know, people just took it somewhere. But I, th- I think the the narrative of, of framing ether and crypto is kind of a cloud, inter- a new wave of the internet. I think that I think that resonates for, for our clients because for, if you think about the narratives of things, right back to narratives for investing in crypto, for a while crypto and cloud, investing in the cloud wasn't cool. And then eventually it became the thing Right. And everyone was like, I'm moving to the cloud. And where's the cloud really? It was just some data centers, just, but they weren't in your place. Right. Right. And where's the data storage? <laughs> so um, it's kind of the same thing here. Right. And um, you know, I think about the, the, you know, your compare, so we are saying like, it's a next wave of the internet, right? So it's the next layer of internet applications by adding the the trust layer on top. Right. Even if you are storing it, wherever you're storing it. Right. So, and if you think about the growth layer that these things enabled, right. Um, it's 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 been very rapid growth of the cloud. It's made a lot of money for a lot of investors. And, but, you know, I mean, for them, if you're growing 25, 50% a year, that's fast, very fast. And that's why you deserve a very high growth multiple. And people are willing to pay up for that. Um, you know, if we look at crypto and we look at just Ethereum, that 1400% is, is, is like eye popping, right? But you could say it's an anomaly, right? Because, you know, um, it, but it's been volatile, but really, It's been growing that fast since 2015. So, if you take what's called a compound annual growth rate, it's been up and down. There's been much better years and much worse years. But on average, since 2015, Ethereum fee revenue has been growing that fast 15,000 or 1,500%. All right. So, you know, I think that's important for folks to see like the sustainable trajectory of what's been happening with the trend of this this crypto, you know, I still call, it, I will still call it kind of crypto cloud platforms, right? In a way, right? For, for our audience and the people who think about it that way. Because, you know, this new wave of the internet, just like we went from, you know, central, you know, you know centralized you know, traditional, you know, PC, you know, other forms then went to the cloud, right? Um, I think this new wave is really kind of taking over uh, of crypto computing, right? And um, so if we think about it, if you're gonna invest in the next wave of computing and the next wave of, you know, you know, internet cloud tech, right? Um, I think that this is probably a good place to be from, a, from an industry standpoint, right? Um, so, I mean, there's big growth multiples being paid for things like the traditional cloud 1.0 companies, and that's fast growth, and Ethereum and crypto networks are growing much faster. Uh, you know, the economics aren't exactly the same, so we'll see how it shakes out, but I think that there's something to be said about the potential here, certainly.
0: David, how is that message landing with Wall Street, when you talk about it as kind of a as ETH as a capital asset, as this being similar to a cloud, how close is Wall Street to understanding this? Maybe in like Bitcoin terms, right? So are we at like their 2016 level of understanding for, for ETH? Um, or And, and then how do, we, how do we continue to bridge that gap?
2: Well, I think there's, you know, again, when I speak about Wall Street, it's really, I, I'm speaking, you know, there's very broad terms, right? Because there's a lot of really sophisticated people on Wall Street who know a lot, and there's some people who kind of know very little, some people who know, who haven't, you know, spent the time at all, right? Um, but I think the people who, there's there's a segment of people, right, who have, um, you know, really just looked at Bitcoin, they don't, and they, they haven't gotten to Ethereum to understand the nuances of, of how this works. But I think that the folks that I've been talking to that are listening and getting to know Ethereum, I think that the, the model resonates with them a lot because when they they view it through that lens of of you know kind of the potential for economics to be kind of more similar to something that's within their bucket and their paradigm and for framing, I think that that's that resonates. Um, and especially, I mean, the usage and the traction of the fees. I mean, that's that says a lot itself too, right? And this is back to your DeFi thing, right? With um, everyone building there, right? So, so it's an indicator, just like financial statements are, right?
1: So, David, there's a, a conversation that we have on Bankless that we think will permeate out into the rest of the world. So I want to get your opinion on it. And this comes in stark contrast to the very, very low rates that bonds are returning for, for the, in the investors. Like bond yields are at all time lows. Uh, and uh, famously, uh, Ray Dalio just put out a piece where he's he's saying, well, at these price levels, bonds to me, just make, they're, they're overbought and they're, they're, they're just not, it doesn't make any sense to him. And, you know, it's something that that me and Ryan have been trying to pioneer on the bankless uh, podcast, bankless ecosystem is that, you know, ether is like exactly what you are saying with like this internet cloud platform. Ether offers this internet bond, this internet native bond. Does that, does that narrative or mental model fit into what you're talking about with your clients and investors at
2: Fundstrap? Um, I think, you know, I think very, I think closely, but you know, I, I would make a nuance to it. Right. And it's kind of, you're kind of I'm kind of agreeing and kind of making a slight nuance. Uh, if you think about a company's capital stack, right. You can have a lot of different types of assets from, you know, fixed debt to um, like preferred shares that can do things like pick and accrue interest. Right. So, you know, and so you can have like convertible preferred debt and you can have traditional equity. Um, for me, the closest analogy to like staking ether, is kind of like owning like a preferred convertible com- preferred shares because you know you have i think ether itself because of the way that the economics we believe will flow right in the future once kind of these upgrades if they come through as we think they will right you you can have you know revenue come in you can have some portion of that be a net reduction to the supply right and the way i think about a crypto c- company network right crypto i think about Plat, you know companies platforms networks right crypto company network right uh as this evolution is the p l's you know um you know wherever the revenue exceeds the the inflation rate you have a profit and that profit is your net reduction in, sh- in supply right that's your net hard money right in a sense or right? just share buyback or like or dividend or you can do the same thing with staking right and that's like traditional company economics that's like kind of owning a cloud network equity like a crypto equity. Right in a way. But if you're staking it, you know, you kind of got a little dividend. And it's kind of like being an employee in a way, right? You're providing compute to the network and you're getting paid this salary. And that's like your expense on that side to the network. Um, So that's kind of how I would kind of bridge the gap to thinking about personally those things.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I I love these conversations because it's it's very clear. Um, All of us are trying to understand these new assets and like fit some existing paradigms into them to help to help the world really understand it. And there, there are different ways to do that, uh, for sure. Um, but I think you've hit on something in identifying Ether as a a productive capital asset that is very much tied to the growth of the Ethereum economy and block space revenue, which is really cool. And again, this is one of the, the first times I've seen Um, like Wall Street education making that case. And I think you said it well, David, you're able to make that case now because it's true, because EIP-1559 is coming down the pike because we have proof of stake, because those returns are going to come back to ETH holders. Let's conclude with this. And this has been a fantastic conversation, David. We've really uh, enjoyed uh, your time and, and definitely Learned a lot here. Let's conclude with this. What is something because our audience is mainly crypto natives? What is something that crypto natives should know about uh, Wall Street and people on tradition in traditional finance and and what they're doing in crypto? What's something that crypto natives should learn and should know about Wall Street?
2: You know, I think I think there's a lot of people on Wall Street um, who personally maybe they're not the guys who are actually able to make the, you know, the changes to the investment mandates into the investments, but, you know, personally kind of probably interested in crypto themselves personally, you know, who will read our our research and, you know, maybe they'll have their PAs and they're interested in it. I think that's, um, so, I mean, there, I think a lot of people on your podcast, maybe are people on, on wall street who are, who are smart people and, um, they could be crossing the chasm, right. Cause you know, I look at you guys, I think you guys have a great show. Um, I think you appeal to a great audience, both crypto and traditional folks. So, Um, So maybe that answers the question.
0: I think it does. It echoes something we talk about a lot, which is the base layer of all of this is people. And of course, what is Wall Street composed of? It's people. People understanding the narrative. The most bullish thing for Ether, for crypto is to be understood. David, thank you so much for helping the world understand a little slice of crypto here.
2: Thanks a lot for having me.
0: Guys, risks and disclaimers. Of course, none of this was financial advice. Bitcoin is risky. ETH is risky. So is DeFi. You could lose what you put in, but we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot.